Growing up, my family had a, a pretty consistent rhythm of, of life. And on Sundays, uh, especially Sunday afternoon, we tended to eat at the same place. We, we would always go out to eat, and we would always eat at a, a Mexican restaurant called Eduardo's. And I love Eduardo's. Whenever I go back to Duncan, I still uh, go to eat there, even though it, the, the ownership has changed hands and, and it's not quite the same food. And if I'm honest, it's really, the, the food isn't something that is all that special. And my wife, she despises Eduardo's. But over the years, we ate with a number of different families that would join us from time to time, but there was one family that was a constant, the Loopers. The Loopers, they, they had uh, three children that were uh, pretty close in age to myself and my two oldest sisters, and uh, my, they, they, uh, their, their middle son was my best friend. So we would eat together every single Sunday, and as so often happens whenever you're gathered with a, a large group of people, you, you have the children that gather at one end of the table and the adults at the other end. And it makes the meal much more pleasant for all parties involved. One Sunday, I, we were uh, at the, the table, and while the, the dividing up of the children and adults makes it more convenient for uh, those eating, it makes it more complicated to divide up the bill once that time comes. And Dave Looper, he was at the other end of the table and he was pointing to the children that belonged on his bill and he skips over me and so I say, Dad, do I not get to eat this week? And of course my dad jumps in and starts to, to ask Dave, you know, why he's not going to feed all of his children and... Taken aback, Dave, flustered, tries to explain that I am actually not his child. The Loopers, they, they are a, a group of people that have become like family. We're not blood related, but, but this is a family that, that growing up, I didn't have to call to see if I could come over. I didn't have to knock or ring the doorbell. I could just walk in. I, I could help myself to the refrigerator. They provided their fair share of meals for me. And perhaps it's because of memories like that that I love Eduardo's. Because whenever I think of a table, I think of love. In 1954, Swanson and Sons Company, they were facing a crisis. They had 540,000 pounds of leftover turkeys from, uh, from the Thanksgiving holidays that was just sitting in 10 railroad, refrigerated railroad cars. They didn't know what they were going to do with it. And it just so happened that at about the same time, a salesman for the company... Jerry Thomas. He was in Pittsburgh uh, visiting a distributor and he happened across a 
tray that was being developed by uh, and for Pan American Airlines as they were exploring ways to serve hot food on long flights. And it sparked his imagination. And they then took that tray and added different compartments in the tray. And they began to sell all of that leftover turkey in frozen packages. They sold over a million units that, that first year and there have been billions sold since then and they, they marketed it as TV dinners. Because about the same time, there was another innovation that was spreading across America, the television. And, and at the time, there were only about three to four hours of, uh, of programming. And it started in the late afternoon and early evening. And it started to interrupt the, the um, dinner preparation time. So they box on the, the packaging. They have a television, even include the knobs on it. They started a market for a new product called TV Trace or a table for one. You may be wondering why all of this talk about food and tables. Well, we're in the second week of a, a three-week study called Our House. As I've asked you to imagine your life as a house and the different rooms in that house represent all of the relationships that you have. Last week, we talked about the bedroom or the marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about the, the kids' room where all of the children that you know are. And this morning, we are talking about the dining room. This is the place where, where all of the people that you consider to be family are gathered. And tables are a, a significant, uh, they play a significant role in the life of relationships. Whenever I went to speak to Allie's parents to ask for their permission to, to marry their daughter, I, I don't remember a lot of what the conversation was like, but I do remember one statement that her father James made. And in my mind's eye, he's, he's pointing his finger at me and he's, he says, you eat dinner at the table. He went on to talk about how life gets busy and, and once your children reach the age of, of being teenagers, they start to lose interest in uh, spending uh, the time at the table together. But he believed that sharing a meal together, that it was valuable for the development of families. Jesus uses meals in interesting ways. He doesn't view meals just as a, a time to provide substance for our bodies, but it, it is a, a, a time that, that nourishes relationships. And Jesus is always sitting at somebody's table. 
To the point that, that people, whenever they describe Jesus, they describe Him as a glutton and a drunkard. Now, that's not to say that that's who He was, but that's just because He was always at somebody's table. He was always gathered around where people were eating. And it starts to get Him in trouble. Like this time in Luke chapter 5. He has just walked by and, and there's a tax collector and, and he invites this tax collector to become his disciple, to follow him. And this tax collector then throws a banquet. Luke 5, verse 29, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners jesus answered them it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick i have not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance these religious leaders they view themselves as being responsible for purifying the nation of israel they are cleaning up the town. And one of the tools that they use to clean up is the table. You start to get the picture that this is almost a return to junior high or, or the high school lunchroom where your worth, your dignity, it, it's, it's tied to the table that you sit at. And to be fair these religious leaders may have some pure motives because they are wrestling with the question if we allow dirty people to come to the table won't they make us dirty as well and jesus is starting to to share some meals with some pretty dirty people whenever you read about a tax collector this is not somebody that is just employed by the irs this is somebody who is raised in a certain community and they turn their back on that community and then begin to take advantage of those who are still living in that community. They viewed tax collectors the way that we would view somebody who becomes a drug dealer or a gang member. That they are, are raised in this community and their behavior is destructive to the community. This is the group that Jesus is starting to gather at the table with. And they are furious about it. But in this, we see Jesus teaching us in who he is sharing the table with, that there is nothing in your past that can exclude you from his table. Not your divorce. Not the abortion that you had. Not the business failure. Not the bankruptcy. Not the fact that, that you feel like a failure as a parent. That your, your son got a girl pregnant. Or, or that they aren't going to church anymore. Nothing from your past can exclude you from his table because there's nothing that God wants more than to share a meal with you. 
in the Old Testament, God gives some very detailed instructions on how to build His house. That He's going to have a house in the, the community of Israel and it's so detailed that, that we, kind of, we kind of just roll our eyes in the back of our head whenever we start to read all of this because it's just it's too detailed for us. Inside that building, there's not a lot of furnishings, but one thing that is included is a table. And on that table, he gives instructions that they are to include the bread of presence. That's, that's what the, the bread gets named, is, is that, that this is my presence among you because he wants to, to share a, a meal. He wants to share at the table with his people. And I said that last week in reading Genesis 2 verse 18 that says that it's not good for man to be alone, that God is making a statement that is much broader than the institution of marriage. And the table is God's answer to that. As I began prepping for this series, I realized that that I was developing this for people that were like me. People who, their relationships include a spouse and children and parents who are still alive. And and there are a number of people in this room that that you don't, at this stage of your life, you don't fit that that category. So I I had Sandy call and invite in a a number of people that that at this stage of life, they don't fit the traditional categories. definition of family life some of them were widowed some of them are divorced some of them have not been married yet maybe never will be married and uh, I started to ask them questions about about their relationship to God about uh, how they they feel connected to the church and as I sat and listened to them One of the things that I heard over and over again is that the table for them often is the loneliest place. That on Sundays or on holidays where it seems like everybody else has a table that is full, they don't feel like they have a place at the table. Sometimes in churches we unintentionally can communicate that if you are married, you somehow have a, a more holy life, that, that you have a, a greater access to God. But if you're single, if you're a single mother, if you are divorced, or, or if you never get married, that, that somehow you're a second-class citizen in the church. And that's a, a little bit unfortunate given that we follow a man who was never married. And, and most of the New Testament was written by somebody who was not married. In fact, Paul says that it, it would be better for you not to be married because marriage, it divides your attention. And you can be focused solely on the kingdom of God. And so regardless of, of how you may feel, 
What the heart of the gospel says is that nothing can exclude you from his table. Nothing that you do can exclude you from his table. And what God does is he provides community for those that don't have natural community. The psalmist describes God as as a, a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. That those who are lonely, he places into families. Peter once asked Jesus, because of all the sacrifices that we have made as disciples, what do we get? What, what reward are we going to receive because we have just left everything and we're following you 24-7? And this is what Jesus says. He says, I, I tell you that no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age the best that i can determine that that jesus is talking about whenever you give up family that you're going to receive a hundred times as much in this age is he's talking about the church that whenever you are lonely that he's going to place you within families and i think that this is why paul gets so upset at the corinthian church because they are filled with division. And it's never more evident than whenever they are gathered at the table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that when you come together, that it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. So that you aren't sharing in the Lord's Supper because they are failing to realize that as a follower of Jesus, every meal includes Jesus. Every meal includes Jesus. A 4th century emperor, Julian, he was concerned at how Christianity was taking over the world. And one of the things that he points to is, is how they engage in, um, and he, he's not sure what to call it. He says sometimes they call it love feast, other times it's a, it's a, a, a service table. And, and what it is, is that it appears that meals take such a center stage in the, the life of the early Christians that from an outsider's perspective, he's confusing communion or the Lord's Supper with other times. Because from the outside, they're always gathering and they're always eating and they're always doing it in the name of this man, Jesus. That every meal includes Jesus as a follower. And the Corinthian church 
this context in 1 Corinthians 11 is the same context in which we, we get the language of, of partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That's the language that he uses a couple of verses later. And what Paul is talking about there is not that, that whenever you take communion that you have to, to be so deep in thought that the person next to you thinks that you are asleep. And so as they pass the tray to you, they kind of nudge you to make sure that you're awake and see that, that you're getting the tray. What he's talking about is that you don't have the right to use the table as something where you are excluding somebody else. And whenever you do that, you are doing it in an unworthy manner. The practice of hospitality is such a central value in the New Testament that that Paul commands it of all Christians in Romans 13. It is a requirement of leadership within the church to be hospitable. It, It is a requirement to be hospitable. And the heart of hospitality is is not impressing people. Because they, they don't need to be impressed. What they need to do is to feel at home. Sean Anequist says that the heart of hospitality is creating space for someone to be seen, heard, and loved. This last week, uh, uh, for Valentine's Day in our family, we, we had a, um, a, a mystery dinner. If you've had that, you, or maybe you haven't had one of those, it's where you, you kind of create this menu, and the, the items on the menu give you no indication as to what, the, uh, what it is that you're ordering. And, and you have to order everything from a plate to, to your, your dessert, to your um, utensils. And so there's a chance, and it happened, that you order a plate, a napkin, and a fork. And so during that portion of the meal, everyone else is eating something, and you're just sitting there watching. And whenever one of our daughters did that, they broke down in tears. It wasn't enough for them to see how how nice everything else looked. It was the fact that they were left out. Around the table, we often will say to somebody, why don't you pull up a chair? And I want you to imagine this morning, what does pull up a chair mean for you? For some of, for some of us, pull up a chair may mean that we, we have a, a friend or a relative that we haven't talked to in a while, and we need to give them a call and sit, sit down for a cup of coffee and reconnect with them. For some of us, maybe it is that we invite somebody to join us for lunch today. For some of us, 
Maybe it means that we come to the table with Jesus. That we enjoy the meal that He has prepared for us because the meal is always ready. Dusty has prepared a song of invitation. Do you need to respond to the gospel this morning? If so, we are prepared. We'll have some of our shepherds at the back of our worship center. I'll be here at the front. If we can assist you in any way, we would love for you to come as we stand and continue to worship together.